Welcome to Passage to Wonderland, literary passages to complete your day. Who knows who among us will be a hero? You've probably never heard of them, but a group of courageous Jewish women in Poland, some still teens, became resistance fighters against the Nazis during World War II. They cared for orphans, fought as guerrilla soldiers in ghetto uprisings, were saboteurs in the forests, worked as undercover couriers and weapons smugglers. One of their most powerful weapons? The Word. Here is an excerpt from the true story, The Light of Days, by Judy Battalion. When the ghetto gates were locked, confining more than 400,000 Jews to a tiny area surrounded by tall, thick walls topped with broken glass, freedom's focus on aid, education, and cultural activity did not wane, but waxed. This, Zivia believed, was how they would maintain their spirits and weather German occupation. Freedom was not alone. Many organizations hosted cultural and aid activities. Thousands of ghetto Jews risked their lives to perform in shows, amateur and professional, Yiddish and Polish, rehearsed spectacles and competitions. Jews staged satirical performances in coffee houses and educational performances in theaters. Actors participated in secret shows in basements to earn extra money. There was a Broadway in the Warsaw Ghetto consisting of 30 performance venues on one street alone. The Bund also hosted concerts. They opened seven soup kitchens and two tea rooms and founded a large-scale school system, day camps, sports organizations, an underground medical school, literary events, and the Socialist Red Cross. Given that political meetings were illegal, communist kitchens served as clandestine sites for many rendezvous. For freedom, education was a priority. Jelna hosted three large seminars in 1940 to 1941, despite Judenrat opposition. The first was attended by 50 people, from 23 branches across Poland, as well as luminaries including poet Yitzhak Katznelson, historian and social activist Emanuel Ringelblum, and educators Janusz Korczak and Stefa Wilczynska, all of them friends of Zivia's from the Judenrat Corridor. For six weeks, attendees studied and pondered the future. Jelna's ongoing cultural program offered Bible classes, literary readings, science speakers, and a drama group. With all Jewish schools having been forcibly closed, Zivia worried that ghetto children were becoming idle and boorish. In response, Freedom established underground elementary and high schools, serving 120 students, including Hansa, who was the most senior. Thirteen teachers worked with no supplies, permanent classrooms, or guaranteed salaries, teaching secular and Jewish subjects. They roved from apartment to apartment, crowded into tiny rooms where whole families were forced to live. The instructors were starving, their legs swollen from the winter cold, yet they'd lecture on Bible studies, biology, mathematics, world literature, Polish language, and psychology. They taught students who were shivering and bloated from starvation 
How to Think. The poet Katz Nelson inspired his students to love their heritage. The whole household would break into song. This flying gymnasia, which even administered exams, existed for two years. It was a hotbed for future underground fighters. Young children were also a priority. Jelna offered a training course on caring for youngsters. Nursery and kindergarten specialists ran a daycare center. Orphanages, previously overseen by the Polish government, fell into disrepair. So freedom girls gathered clothes and writing kits and taught the children plays, stories, and folk songs and arranged holiday festivities. Many ghetto children lived on the streets, trading goods or begging for bread. Zivia, Antek, and people from other groups organized a children's kitchen to feed and teach boys and girls reading, writing, Hebrew, and Yiddish. With all our strength, we tried to give them back a bit of their sweet childhood, a bit of laughter and joking, one female comrade wrote. When German inspectors came, they ate and did nothing more. Children of 11, 12 years old learned to hide like adults, behaving in a way that did not accord to their age. The Freedom Children's Choir and dramatic groups attracted thousands of Jews seeking emotional sustenance. Jelna's address was well known on the Jewish streets. The Freedom Community, run largely by women, claimed more than a thousand members. The comrades spent hours singing with the children, taking them out for walks and to play in fields, that is, among the destruction that was left standing between the walls. Older Jews would stand and watch the children having fun, a spark of hope. For all this teaching, freedom needed books. An integral part of the early resistance was literary. The occupying Germans banned and burnt Yiddish and Hebrew volumes, as well as titles by Jewish writers and political opponents. Needless to say, anti-Nazi publications were forbidden, and even carrying one brought imprisonment or death. To keep a diary and compile evidence against the Nazis was equally punishable. Jews, long known as people of the book, resisted by writing to distribute information, to document, and for personal expression. Readers, they rebelled by saving stories. As no new books were being published and most old books were no longer accessible, Freedom formed its own imprint. Their first book, published on a mimeograph, was a historical literary anthology full of stories of Jewish suffering and heroism. They wanted to present young people with powerful examples of Jewish courage. Several hundred copies were smuggled to branches across the country. They published educational handbooks, as well as Katz Nelson's biblical play, Job, which their drama group produced. While Antek made copies, the movement kids sang in their loudest voices to cover up the noise of the machine. Communication in the face of the Nazi-imposed information blackout was crucial. Jews from all factions printed underground publications to distribute across the country, offering information about the ghettos and camps. Freedom published an underground newspaper in Polish and Yiddish that discussed the questions of the day. Later, its members put out a Yiddish weekly with news they heard over their secret radio. According to historian Emanuel Ringelblum, political publications sprouted like mushrooms after the rain. If you publish your paper once a month, I'll publish mine twice a month. 
Overall, some 70 periodicals containing political debate, literary works, and news from outside the ghetto were secretly printed in Polish, Hebrew, and Yiddish on Gestetner's cyclostyle copiers using whatever paper they could muster. Print runs were small, but each copy was read by multiple people. Reading was a form of escape and a source of critical knowledge. Saving books was an act of cultural and personal salvation. Libraries were forbidden, so one woman member explained the movement's idea for creating its own form of a catalog library in Warsaw. If we're not allowed to concentrate the books in one room, then we will make lists of all the books found in each house and make them available for all inhabitants. Many others across Poland developed secret home libraries. Henja Reinhardt's, a young Bundist in the Watch Ghetto, explained that a group of Bundists rescued piles of books from the city's Yiddish library and brought them to her family's apartment. Along with her sister and a few friends, she sorted the volumes and then built shelves to hold them. Our kitchen thus became the ghetto library, she explained later. This was an underground library, which means that it was kept secret so that neither the ghetto administration nor the Germans were to know about it. Henya traced her love of reading to the ghetto. Reading meant escaping into another world, she wrote, living the lives of the heroes and heroines, sharing their joys and sorrows, the joys and sorrows of a normal life in a normal world unlike ours, full of fear and hunger. She read Gone with the Wind in Polish while hiding from a deportation. With many out of work and out of school, stuck in small spaces, hungry and listless, isolated and bored, writing became a convenient and common pastime. Jews wrote personal accounts to maintain their humanity and a sense of agency over their lives. Autobiographical writing records inner development. Introspection validates identity and strengthens individuality. As in the famous example of Anne Frank or the less famous diary of Rutka Laskier, a Benjamin-based teen, Jewish women explored their shifting perceptions and sexuality, their fears and social analyses, their frustrations with their suitors and their mothers. These women, like many others, were well-educated. They believed in a liberal humanism that was destroyed. Writing provided a sense of control over their destinies, an attempt to refute terrifying social decay and preserve faith and order. In writing, they searched for meaning among senseless brutality, for a way to repair their collapsed world. I was inspired by this passage, certainly by the bravery and selflessness of the resistance, but also by the power of the word and its ability to provide solidarity and strength, meaning and purpose, even in the most dangerous and desperate of times. Today's excerpt was from The Light of Days, The Untold Story of Women Resistance Fighters in Hitler's Ghettos, by Judy Battalion, published by HarperCollins. Thank you for listening to Passage to Wonderland. Until next time, rest easy.